Good morning. You can hear me. Good. It's going to go better that way, I think. I can say, honestly, that after that song, I feel completely inadequate to stand up here. So I think I'm right where God wants me. Uh, as you know, Pastor Chris is on sabbatical, and uh, I believe that he and Darina are actually in Dallas today. As one of the elders of Strong Tower, we value having Pastor Chris and Drina get away to rejuvenate and rest. And so I'm happy to stand before you today so that he can rest. For those of you who are first-time visitors, I hope you come back. <laughs> well, that wasn't supposed to be quite that funny, but it's good. I hope you come back to meet him and to hear him speak. He's a truly gifted speaker and an incredibly godly man, and we love him, and I hope you have the chance to come back and meet him. So as you know, for those of you who worship here regularly, we are in a series on Superman and Wonder Women. And when Pastor Chris asked me to give the message uh, about six weeks or so ago, I was hoping he would give me the image of some Superman who could, or Wonder Woman, or someone who could, you know, fly some webs out of it. We had watched Superman over Thanksgiving, I mean, uh, Spider-Man. And uh, so I was thinking that I would be given a specific biblical character to talk about today, but that really didn't happen. Instead, what God led me to believe is, what do we need a superhero for today? And I think we need a superhero who can resolve conflict. Our nation is divided disunited, and more polarized than it's been for decades. As a society, we lack discourse, civility, and respect for one another. Instead, we attack the other, whatever that means. Somebody who doesn't look like us isn't like us. The poor, the rich, the elite, the educated, the uneducated, Muslims, Jews, non-Christians, Christians, Republicans, Democrats, people who aren't politically engaged, people who are too politically engaged. And I think underseating all of this, underneath all this, is a deep, deep anger that probably is about our insecurity, our lack of confidence, misunderstanding, and fear. It shows a lack of God in us. What we need is a superhero who can solve conflicts. My emotional response over the past year has been one of fear, disillusionment with Christianity, embarrassment of being an American. It seems to me that at least the way it's portrayed, religion in this country, especially evangelical Christianity, has become more of a political force than an evangelical theological voice. We need to recapture the heart of what our faith is about. But we can't do that on a national stage if we can't do it in our personal lives and our professional lives. I spend a lot of time at work, even though I'm a physician, a lot of my time actually is overseeing people and their interactions to one another. And I spend a lot of time mediating conflict 
And we don't do a very good job of it. And so what I'm gonna share to you today is based on my experience and what I've learned by making lots of mistakes. But I think we need to do a better job of resolving conflict in our families, with our spouses and parents and children and cousins and significant others, whoever they may be, at our work, with our coworkers and employers and employees, in our neighborhoods, for people who don't look or act like us, who don't have the same background. And so it's with this mindset that I then ask God, what do you want me to talk about? What do you want me to share? And so as I was doing um, some reading, I came across Proverbs 16:32, and I'm not a pastor, but I do claim to be a teacher, and so I'm going to give you some PowerPoint slides as we're going along here. Uh, so Proverbs 16:32 says, "Better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city." What? No, no, no. I want somebody who's going to come down and be a superhero and just stamp out disagreement. Thank you. I want somebody who's going to overpower those people who I disagree with. Nope. Solomon said it's better to have somebody who's patient and can control his anger. So in, part, in that verse, there's tension and disagreement and conflict, right? And instead of conquering, instead of coming in with force, you come in with self-control. So then I started reading passages about self-control, and there are lots and lots of passages about self-control. But I wanted to leave you today with something practical, something that you could actually do, not just say have self-control or be self-control. What does that look like? How do I do that? What's the approach I can take so I can manifest self-control when I'm in a situation where there's conflict? And uh, I came across James chapter 1, verse 19 and, verses 19 and 20. So if you could show... Uh, this The NIV says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So the fact that he talks about anger twice in those two verses means there must be something to get angry about. There must be some tension or disagreement, right? Um, an author who I'm going to mention in a little while calls it a disturbed difference. We see things differently, and it creates a conflict. And initially, we want to get angry, right? That happens very quickly. And he's saying, I don't want you to do that. The message actually translates, I love the message, and I realize it's not a direct translation. It's a paraphrase, but I love so much how the author of the message captures this. If you could show that slide, it says, post this at all the intersections where you're coming to a point where there's some sort of face-to-face -face interaction here. Dear friends, lead with your ears, follow up with your tongue, and let anger straggle along in the rear. <laughs> That's such a great image, right? God's righteousness doesn't grow from human anger. So just let the anger kind of try to keep up because you're just moving so fast with your listening ears. And he talks about it as being a leadership skill. I teach a leadership seminar at Vanderbilt each year, um, and we talk a lot about conflict resolution. And I'm going to show you in a little while a tool that we use to resolve conflicts. But what's really I like about this is that the author of the message has said that you can lead by listening not lead by speaking and certainly not lead by anger. That should be straggling along behind. Now, in my experience, we don't really do it that way. 
right? James, the, the, the struggle with James that I have is not that I don't understand what he's saying. It's that I do understand what he's saying, and I can't do it. It really requires superhuman power to do this, right? And many times we get focused too much on something else and not God's righteousness, which is what James puts as the basis of what our focus should be when there's conflict, is his righteousness. Not winning the argument, not proving the other person wrong, not getting what we want, but God's righteousness. We sang that he has won the victory. And I want us to go through today in this message thinking about not trying to win what's already been won, but thinking who we can take on our victory lap with us. Who can we take to heaven with us? The victory's been won. Stop fighting like it hasn't been won. The target is the other person's heart and our heart, not winning. Here's what I think we typically do. Can I have the next slide? This is the application of James 1.19. When a conflict arises, don't instantaneously vent your anger, quickly fire off facts, and only listen when you need to catch your breath, regroup, or retreat. <laughs> now, I know you're thinking that's a little unfair. It's very judgmental. I know you never take a breath when you're arguing. <laughs> you just keep on going, man. Do not stop. But James is giving us a different approach. James is asking us to do something that is more inconsistent with how our Savior would address a conflict. And so the title of my message is based on James chapter uh, 1, verse 19. So if you could show the next slide. Um, it is gone. There it is. Um, listen, speak, anger. And the punctuation is appropriate, or I don't know it was appropriate, it's intended. Listen, all caps, exclamation, be quick to listen. Speak is just a period, no exclamation. And then anger is in really little font over here with a question mark. Maybe it gets there, maybe it doesn't. And I think if you do these two really well, you may not get to the anger part. So I want to talk about how we can resolve conflict like a Christian. Now, uh, I want to just address right away, because I have had lots of experience in talking to people about resolving conflict, that typically when we go into a situation where we're, we have our perspective and somebody else has their perspective, and we go into a situation and we are going to do our best to convince that other person that we are right and that other person is wrong. Well, there's three possibilities to how this works when you're in a situation like that. One possibility is what I first said. You are right and the other person is wrong. The other possibility is that you are wrong and the other person is right. That's very, very unlikely, I know, but let's just go with this for a moment. <laughs> the third possibility is that you're each somewhat right and somewhat wrong. And in my experience, that's exactly what happens. As you start talking through things, you realize, hmm, I didn't have that quite right. And I didn't really see it the way they saw it, right? And so at the very least, James's approach would get us to the point where we wouldn't embarrass ourselves by being wrong. Because if you are in a situation discussing or arguing or hopefully listening with somebody else, they will use those mistakes against you. And so 
at the very least, this approach where you first of all just listen, don't say anything, can be very powerful, right? What we tend to do is we wanna share facts. We just want to drill in on facts and overwhelm people with facts. But a lot of times, as we know in situations where there's conflict, it's not what's up here that's important, it's what's in here. And if you try to fix what's in here by going here, it will not work. You have to get to the heart, right? And James would say the way to do that is by listening and getting to know someone and being in relationship with them. There's actually data that says that distributing facts, even if it's done respectfully and professionally and appropriately, simply doesn't work. In fact, it makes it worse. This is really important. If you are in a disagreement about something within your marriage, within your family life, within your neighborhood, or if it's one of the political issues that we hear about a lot today, and you want to have an impact, sharing facts, at least initially, will not work. And I want to show you one study that proved that. So if I go to the next slide. Um, so I'm going to explain. We're going to go row by row here. So what they did, this is called ineffective conflict resolution. Okay, thank you. That's nice. Ineffective conflict resolution. We will get to good conflict resolution in a minute, but we're going to talk about ineffective right now. So they did a study where they were trying to decide... Um, what the impact was of sharing facts about climate change did to people. And this is actually not about climate change, right? It's just that was the topic they chose, but they're really trying to figure out what people do when they're told facts, right? So the first thing they did is they did a survey, they asked a bunch of questions, and they were able, based on the responses to those questions, to divide the participants into three groups. And I think there are about 300 people who did this. So they had one group that were strong believers in man-made climate change. There was another group that were moderate believers in climate change. And then there was a third group that didn't believe it, right? And then they told them, by 2100, the average global temperature is going to increase by six degrees. Scientists have shown by 2100, the temperature of the earth will increase by six degrees. And then they asked, now, by 2100, how hot or how much hotter do you think the earth will be? So those who were strong believers said 6.3. They're so believed, they think the scientists are underestimating. Not surprisingly, those who are weak believers said no. What's interesting is they still, they still said that it would be a little bit hotter, right? So facts do have a little bit of an impact, but the point here is not just to have a little bit of an impact, it's to actually resolve the conflict and come to some understanding. And then the middle group, they actually believed that the scientists were right. These are really middle, they're like, okay, seems reasonable. Okay, that part is not particularly interesting in the study. The next part is what's really interesting. They then took each of these three groups and divided them in half. So for those who were strong believers in man-made climate change, they took half of them and they told them something good about the earth. Like, you know what, we were actually wrong. It's not six degrees, it's gonna be maybe two degrees hotter. And the other half, still within that group, they said, ugh, we underestimated, it's gonna be much worse. It's eight or nine degrees hotter, right? And they did that for each of these groups. So now we have six groups, make sense? There'll be no quiz at the end of this, so it's okay, but I do want you to follow along. 
All right, so this is bad news. It's going to get even hotter. This is good news. It's going to get even, it's not nearly as bad as we thought. And they did that for each group. And then they said again, so now, based on this additional information, how hot do you think it'll be in 2100? And those who were strong believers in man-made climate change, they took it to heart and they increased their initial estimate by about two more degrees. They went down if it was good news, but only a little bit. So now skip over to this. The weak believers, initially they said it's gonna go up by six degrees and then they said, actually it's a whole lot worse. They didn't even change. They're like, I'm not listening. But if it was good news, they did listen. We listen to the facts that agree with our prior notions and we ignore or slightly modify our view based on facts that disagree with our prior notions. And if you uh, did the math here, you can see that the difference between 6.3 and 3.6 is actually smaller than between 8.3 and 2.6. This is why we become more and more and more and more polarized if all we do is talk about facts. Because if I hear something that agrees with my view, I can take a big step closer to that side. And if I hear a fact that disagrees, I go like this. And then I hear some other fact and I go way over here. I'm like, yep, I knew it. And then I hear something else and I go like this. And the person on the other end does the same thing. And all we do is get further and further and further away. And it doesn't work. So stop doing it. It doesn't work. James would say, instead of talking about facts, start listening to them, right? And so before I get to point to say what James would say, I want to talk about other ineffective ways to resolve conflicts. So we have the next slide. Um, arguing and debating facts, we already talked about this. This second bullet is not, I'll pray for you, as in, you are ill and I'll pray for you. It's like, well, I'll just pray for you. <laughs> I can't win this argument, so I'm just leaving you in the Lord's hands. Right? I think it's passive aggressive. I actually have a trouble with the with the um, signposts out, you know, in church parking lots or something. Like, if you died today, where would you go? Is that helpful? Right? I mean, it just turns people off because the person who thinks that Christianity is a bunch of judgmental, self righteous people just reinforces their view. Right? And they take one more step further away from us. Eye rolling and other inappropriate nonverbals. Right? It's just rude. You're rolling your eyes. Oh my goodness. Right? It doesn't work. Uh, gossiping. Well, I need to get advice about handle to handle this situation. So I'm going to go talk to this person and that person and that person. And you end up in your office. You talk to almost everyone else in the office except the person who you have the conflict with. Now, there is a place to ask for advice. If you're genuinely asking for advice. But if you're just venting, that's not lifting the other person up. And it really doesn't work. Right? Using email or social media. Now, this one makes me a little nervous, to be honest with you, to share this. Um, I love technology. I don't like paper. For those of you who work around me know that, I don't do paper. I come to a meeting, you send it to me electronically, I don't do paper. I love technology. I have three screens in my office. But technology has a limit 
to what it can do when the heart is the target. And so I think that there are many times where we try to resolve by posting something on Facebook or shooting off an email, and it's a little bit more like vomiting on someone. It's a little bit more like vomiting on someone <laughs> than it is resolving a conflict. Because when, you, when we get to James, and we will, you realize I can't get into a relationship with them. I can't hear them. I can't see the nonverbals. So I said earlier, nonverbals are bad. We don't want to like be rolling our eyes and huffing at people, right? But you have to be aware of them when somebody else is doing it. It's part of how we communicate as humans, and you can't do that by email or Facebook. All those social media or email technologies have their place, but I don't think they have a place when it comes to genuinely resolving conflict. I actually have uh, not just a few times sent out emails to my colleagues or to people I work with and say, stop emailing, pick up the phone, or go to somebody's office. You just got to do it, right? Takes time, but get out and do it, right? And then the last one is avoiding and ignoring. Now, I have to say, in my personal experience, this culture in this part of the country needs this most. What I have found, I've lived in the East Coast, in the Midwest, in the South, and the East Coast they will go to your office, man. I mean, they're just going to bam, and that's not appropriate either. <laughs> I mean, it's like you don't have to wonder where you stand. You know where you stand, right? Here, there's this veneer that everything's fine, and we're all getting along, and it's deceptive, and it's lying, and it needs to be addressed. So if you have a conflict, you can address it professionally and appropriately and kindly like a Christian, but not addressing it and pretending everything is okay is not appropriate. At no point does James say, just, just move along with your day and don't worry about it. Right? Okay, so let's get to James. What does James say? So... My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Okay, so let's talk about being quick to listen. We're gonna just divide those into three different steps. Quick to listen. My question is, how quick? How quick should we be? We should be quick like a jellyfish. Yeah, a jellyfish stinger. Turns out, I don't know if you heard this on NPR, there's a new book out called Spineless. It's written by a scientist who studied jellyfish. The jellyfish stinger is the fastest thing known in the biological sciences. How fast, you might say, is that stinger? Thanks for asking. <laughs> this pen, if I drop it, is traveling, accelerating at 1G. I'm pretty sure G stands for gravity. 1G. A hot rod car, like a Ferrari, accelerates at 3Gs. A jellyfish stinger accelerates at 5 million Gs. 
what? That is fast. <laughs> That's so fast. I want you to listen like a jellyfish stinger so fast. Why? Because that anger wells up in us at least at 5 million Gs, as far as I can tell. <laughs> we can't measure it, right? But it comes. Woo. And that thing you're supposed to be let straggling behind that the message says, right? It's there, fast. So you've got to be even faster with your listener. I wanted to, I, I'm not an artist, but if I were, I would have come up with a superhero that sort of like opened up his shirt and there was a big ear. You've got to listen fast. So why do you start with listening? So listen like a jellyfish stinger. The reason is that our initial response to a conflict is almost always wrong. Or at least not as good as it could be if you just, shh. So self-control. Remember, this is all about self-control. And I think James is giving us very specific behaviors that demonstrate what self-control looks like in one of the most difficult times when we have to have self-control. When something comes up and somebody rubs us the wrong way, and it's sometimes for me, it really is not that big of a deal, right? I mean, it's like not going at a green light, right? I mean, man, you would, that's not very Christ-like. I got to tell you the way sometimes I act. So just relax. This requires superhuman self-control. So the benefits of listening quick um, or I'm sorry, the, the process of listening quick requires that we are in unity with God and the Spirit is working in us. So nothing that I'm going to say here you can do, at least most of us can't do, on our own accord. So why do we do it? First of all, it gives us time to pray and to compose our thoughts. Shh, quiet. Lord, help me right now. I need help right now. You know my tendencies. You know what I'm doing. Just shh. Take a few moments. You might actually want to pray for the other person. We'll get to that in a moment too, but at least pray for yourself. It also, when we're listening, puts us in a position of humility. And I think that's a really good place to start when you have a conflict. Don't take yourself too seriously. Certainly don't take yourself more importantly than the other person, because God doesn't. You know, you're not God's gift to whatever any more than that other person is. You are highly valued, but so is that other person. Even if they're a Muslim, even if they're not um, of the same religion, even if they have a different race. And remember, the point is, who are we going to take on our victory lap with us? It gives you an opportunity to learn. Remember I said sometimes you go into it and you should think, hmm, I may be wrong in some aspects of this. I'm going to learn where I'm wrong. And I actually do this. I actually, when I'm going into a situation, I think, I wonder what I'm going to learn where I'm wrong. Because if you do it enough times, it, you just give yourself some composure instead of just flying off the handle. It also avoids prejudging and overgeneralization. Over you always, you never, you people, that whatever you feel in that sentence is not going to be good. <laughs> right? It just isn't. Because I'm not you people, I am me. The benefit for the other person is that I think it's a great way to show that you value them and respect them. Now, Jesus didn't have to do this, by the way. You'd be like, well, did Jesus do this? Jesus didn't have to do this because he is omniscient, right? But we need to get into a setting where we start to get closer to that, where we understand the person and their backgrounds and their situation. And so we suspend judgment, start learning. 
And the benefit to both is that it brings us into proximity to the other person where you're in a relationship and now you're getting to the heart. Wednesday night at our uh, uh, meeting in the room here, we uh, discussed a lot of things. I was taking notes, John. I was like, this is like content for Sunday. This is great. And we talked a lot about proxicity and not being judging and getting to know someone in that relationship. That has been shown, I can't show you the data, but that has been shown to mitigate bias and misunderstanding much more so than just hearing facts. So James knew the results of the study before they were ever done 2,000 years ago. All right, so I'm going to actually give you an approach called rounding the bases. You can't see the author down here. His name is Bob Keegan. He's an organizational psychologist. He wrote a book that's there, but you can't see it, called How the Way We Talk Can Change the Way We Work. He, uh, I've heard him speak a couple times. I've read the book a couple times. He is not a Christian to the best of my knowledge. Um, and so um, I just want to say that, but I don't think that what he's saying is contrary to our faith. And I think that I'm just going to add in a few things that underpin it, what he's saying. But he uses a baseball analogy. He loves baseball. And so he uses a baseball analogy. And so we're just going to round the bases when you have a conflict. So you are in a situation where you want to negotiate for something, where there's been some sort of tension in your family, where your coworker is being disrespectful, whatever it is, and you know you have to address it because I said ignoring and avoiding is not biblical. So you got to do it. So you're on deck. You're getting up to bat, but you're not there yet. And you have to prepare. And so I would suggest that you prayerfully consider these three things. Now, most people say, well, pray about this. Well, pray about how, what should I pray about? I think that this approach gives you some specific practical things to pray about. Number one, pray about how the other person sees the conflict. How would they see it from their perspective? Now you've heard the phrase, walk a mile in their moccasins, right? What we typically think about that is that I walk in their shoes. No, they probably wouldn't fit, no. What we mean by that is try to become them with their background and their perspectives and their upbringing and everything else, and then walk in their shoes. Empathize with them, right? So imagine to the best you can, and you won't get it right, but the point is it's an exercise to start doing that to see how they may see it. The next thing is to imagine if someone you respected highly was looking in on the situation from the balcony, looking down on this situation, how would they view it? They're dispassionate. They don't have all their emotions involved. How would they see it? Because I'll tell you, there's usually a lot of facts that we interpret based on our biases and prejudices that could be interpreted differently from someone else who didn't have that encounter with that person, wasn't in the same office, those kinds of things. And lastly, what is my view of that person? What's my history with them? What's the bias? The best way, he talks about the best way to do this is to replace that individual. Same situation, replace the individual with someone else and what changes. It's a great way to think about your uh, understanding and your biases about that person. All right, so now you've done it. You've thought about it. You're, you're realizing your perspective may not be 100% accurate. It's not 100% wrong. I'm not saying that, but there's some deficiencies in it starting to see things differently. And then you want to go in, you're going to have the meeting. And what he would say is first base is knock before entering. You're going to go into their life. You're going to go into their abode, 
how they see the world. You're going to get to know them. And you need to knock before you go in. You don't barge in the door. No one likes being sideswiped. So, if I use an example with Teresa, I'd say, you know what, I think that um, it'd be good if maybe this evening we could just talk about how things are going. That's all it takes, right? Gives her a heads up. She can be prayerful as well. As opposed to going in and, I have had it! <laughs> right? Not self-controlled. You also get to see if they open the door. Because if they don't open the door, I wouldn't go further. If, if, you, if, you, if you get out, you strike out, you got to go back to deck. Right? Um, so you, they have to be willing to, to, to be in this role, to talk. And I've definitely been in situations where people are just, you know, they're proverbially vomiting on me. And I just let them vent, and then we're done. I'm not gonna, they're not in a position to actually have a conversation. So for that day, it's probably best to just stop. All right, so you've done that, they've agreed, and now step two, I'm sorry, second base, is the most important. Active listening to clarify the gap, the gap between where they are and where you are. You're over here, you wanna get back to home plate, but now you're on second base. So you don't just tell them facts. You don't go into this and just try to convince them to see the world the way you do. You actually come along beside them. And you imagine yourself over there, and now you're here with them, and you say, tell me more. Explain that. You give them space. You're in their house. You give them space to relax, feel comfortable, confident to talk to you, right? Tell me more. It's a great phrase. And then, once you understand it, you try to restate their position as best you can so they know that they've really been heard. You're not parroting what they say. Right? You're really, you're trying to synthesize it so they feel like they've really been understood. Now, this may make you a little nervous because I'm going to give you a fairly dramatic example here. I was driving to church this morning and on, I, I was coming up to a pickup and on the back, the door that folds down for the pickup truck was a big Confederate flag. And when I pulled up, it said, I'm a proud descendant of a Confederate soldier. And then it said, they had the, a flag in a little... Uh, bumper sticker, and it said, culture and history, confederacy, culture and history. Now, I'm not from the South, and I'm obviously not an African-American, but that makes me get really angry, like five million Gs fast. Sitting down and trying to understand that person would be really hard. <laughs> But here's the thing, I don't, I don't know what other way we have if we don't try. I don't think there's any other solution. And when we can restate their position, it doesn't justify it, it just means that they've been heard. And here's the other thing, this is being a little bit shrewd like a serpent. When you start listening to people, they usually are not quite as well grounded in their view as they think they are. Now, you have to be careful. You're not going to like, you know, it's not like a deposition. You don't go in there and just keep asking them questions, right? <laughs> Firing. But as you let them start talking, you realize mm, they're not, they don't really got it. Right? And so um, they may become less certain. But here's the important point. You are a long way from home plate. You have now come over to their side. So you really know 
right? And it makes you think and it makes them think. And then third base is searching and researching. And the phrase you use is, after you've had this conversation, they've opened up, maybe you've got to share a few things, but you're starting to develop a relationship. You say, could we agree to keep thinking about this? Could we agree to go back and maybe we'll meet again in a week or two? And then that brings you back to home plate. So the third base is searching and researching, and then you get back to home plate and you reflect, hmm, I don't really feel the same way I did before I got up to bat because I've learned some things. And I would contend the other person doesn't feel as strongly either, right? So home plate may have moved. You're not coming back to where you were. And their position has also moved. And then you do it again. It takes a lot of time, but it's an investment to build a relationship to get at their heart and to get at your heart. Because I think a lot of times God is, you don't know if maybe God's taking you into this conflict because he wants to work in your heart. Right? Okay, so that's listening. Quick. Speaking slowly. And my offer of speaking slowly is you're not just saying facts, you're asking questions, right? Speaking slowly is deliberately, methodically, right? Not just letting it build up and then wham, I've let you talk, now I'm going to talk. You keep asking questions. And then anger. And I don't have time to go in through this. Um, I just have a few more slides. But anger is really little here, and there's a question mark. And hopefully if you do this process, you may not get there. But what I would say is that James says, slow to become angry. I haven't even demonstrated my anger yet. He says, slow to become angry. What? I thought I was doing good enough, and I could become angry, and I got a pretty good frontal lobe here, and I can filter, right? No. You should be slow to become angry. So if it comes quickly, if that anger is really quick, be careful. It's probably not from God. And if it is, it's probably tainted by your sinfulness and your insecurities and your fears because you're not closely identified. And if I keep saying you, but I keep hearing me, 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 right? Because I actually do this. I actually control my anger pretty well, but I do not control not getting angry. That's amazing self-control. I think this is the most challenging demonstration of self-control is to not even become angry. And so I really do think that this is impossible without God's grace. And this is why you're continually in prayer and this is why you start the whole process, right? Ultimately, expressing anger is acceptable in some situations, right? Be angry and sin not. But I think it should be rare and I think it should be tailing at the end and it should be at the end. And, and, you, and as soon as I say that, people are thinking, well, Jesus got angry and he did, right? but you ain't Jesus. <laughs> so we want to be like Jesus, okay? Yes. And if you really study it, he only got really angry at self-righteous religious leaders. I don't remember. Please, I was thinking about this, and I please tell me if there's a place where he got angry at, at poor and the lost, right? Um, so I, I don't have time to go to this, maybe topic for another day, but you, you can get angry, but I really think it should be at the end and it should be after a well-reasoned and still you should have self-control. Okay, so in summary, um, listen, exclamation, listen. That should be happen very fast. As soon as you feel that well up and that tension, you're listening, not speaking. Shh. You know that phrase, it's better to let people 
It's better to be quiet and let people think you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> so, listen, then speak deliberately, dispassionately, and maybe get angry, but towards the end, if you need to. There are three possible outcomes to a conflict. Seriously think about this. I'm all right, they're all wrong, vice versa, or maybe I'm a little bit wrong, or maybe a lot wrong, and I wanna go into this and learn. Jamesian conflict resolution requires superhuman self-control. You have the power to be a superhero, but not without God, not without his grace, and definitely not in one of the most difficult things where our human nature wants to be defensive, right? So it means you need to be continuous in prayer and you need to practice rounding the bases. I teach this. We actually do role-playing. I'd love to do that right now, but we don't have time. So um, I actually put them in situations and I have the students role-play this and they read about this and they go through and I give them the scenario and, the, and I say, okay, you're good and you're negotiating with somebody and there's a conflict. And immediately they say, well, maybe you don't know the facts. And they start going about the facts. And I'm like, it's as if I didn't say a single thing, <laughs> right? But I will tell you that if you practice this, it's hard, but you do get better like anything else. And so I would encourage you to practice. The self-controlled frequently control the situation. In the short term, it may not seem like it, but long term, you get known to be somebody who can control a situation. So I wanna leave you with uh, one more thing, and that is, it's a silly analogy, um, but um, I like it. And it's, um, I would encourage you to be a thermostat instead of a thermometer. So a thermometer just reflects the temperature of the room, what's happening. A thermostat sets the temperature. Those who are self-controlled by God's grace can set the temperature instead of just reflecting it. Jonathan said in his prayer or in one of the songs that we are not self-reliant. And I just love how God pulled the whole service together today. Because if we are self-reliant in this area, we are going to fail. But if we acknowledge we're self-reliant and we humble ourselves and we're continually praying, by God's grace, we can set the temperature in our own area. Let's just start there. And the, the rest of what's happening nationally and on a bigger scale will maybe follow. But we've got to do it in the least before we can do it in a big way, Right? So just remember, the victory has been won. When you're in situations like this, not if, but when you're in situations like this, I pray that God does bring us into situations like this. We can be God's heart first and his ear and then his voice. The victory has been won. Let's just try to get more people who could join us on the victory lap. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be convicted today. You brought out an area that I personally need to work on. It's not about winning an argument or overpowering the other person. It's about their heart. It's about loving them. And it's about being in relationship with them. I just pray that you would help us to process this, that you would show us areas where we can improve. I pray that you would help us to then apply it when we are in situations where there's conflict, that we would quickly, as quick as a jellyfish's stinger, listen, ask questions, get to know someone, and then start talking and sharing our perspective but doing it out of a way of love that's focusing on a relationship and not just winning the argument. I love this church. I love this people. I pray that you would continue to be with us. Help us to do your will and protect Pastor Chris and Drina as they return home. In Jesus' name, amen.